Welcome everyone to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ron on ESPN, ESPN.com Giants reporter. And we're doing a quick top seven rundown here, right? That's because the Giants are sitting pretty with picks five and seven in the first round of the NFL draft. And we know the Giants would like to move back if they could collect future 2023 capital. Going to be hard. Uh, I spoke to a GM recently and he was like, man, it's going to be really hard to get 2023 draft capital in this draft because the top of this draft is not known to be especially strong. What this draft is, is it's deep. This is the extra COVID year. There's a lot of players. Uh, the middle rounds are are considered gold. The top of the draft, not so much, especially when there's uh, they're, we're lacking that big quarterback. We know that. So, all right, let's get to it, though. What everyone wants to know, who can the Giants, who are the Giants going to draft with picks five and seven? Now, it's all dependent on what happens in front of them and around them, right? I mean, let's be honest. You, they might want Evan Neal, and he might not be available. But lucky for them, the way I think this is going to play out, at least the most likely scenario at this point of how it plays out, is Evan Neal, the Alabama tackle, I think is going to be available for the Giants. So as of right now, he probably would be my most likely Giants draft pick with pick five because pick one is essentially between three players. It's Aiden Hutchinson, Trayvon Walker, and then maybe outside shot uh, Icky. Icom Iquanu, the NC State tackle. Now, I think that's a long shot. It seems to be one of those pass rushers. You hear the Trayvon Walker talk about one to the Jags. I'm not really buying that. The production wasn't there. Hutchinson was the best player in college football. You know, I spoke to a GM recently, and he thought, yeah, Hutchinson's going number one. And then number two, that's the Lions. Then the Lions, in that case, the belief would they would probably go edge rusher. Now, what you're hearing at number three is that that's the one that's sort of up in the air. People are not so sure about number three. But what you hear now is that there seems to be a good shot that Sauce Gardner goes number three in this draft. I heard that from multiple sources that they think, hey, you know, he's going to be gone by three. His drop dead spot is five or seven. So if he goes three, that leaves the Jets there with, Kayvon Thibodeau or Icky, I think they would probably go Icky in that scenario. And then that leaves the Giants at number five with a choice of Thibodeau, who I don't get the impression they're that high on, you know, or at least in love with. Evan Neal, who's a really good player. Charles Cross, who they're high on, but I still think that Evan Neal is probably graded higher than Charles Cross. And so the Giants are sitting there. In that spot. And I think sort of that next range of guy is uh, Stingley, just because he's not quite as clean. Uh, that Stingley, the LSU cornerback, he's not quite as clean as uh, Sauce Gardner. And um, who am I missing? Who am I missing? Oh, Jermaine Johnson is kind of in that next group as well. So the way I think it plays out, the Giants are sitting there with a chance to get a top tackle, have a choice, Evan Neal, Charles Cross. Uh, can go Kayvon Thibodeau, too, at, at, number, at number five. And number six is the Carolina Panthers. And it's seeming less and less likely, as you talk to people, that the Carolina Panthers are going to go in that quarterback direction. So they're looking at offensive tackle. So you can't wait on the offensive tackle if you like one of those two. 
because there's a good chance number six, even if it's not them, maybe they move out and someone takes that off. Someone t- comes up and takes that offensive tackle. So I think if you're the Giants, five has to be offensive tackle. And then you could kind of roll back seven, see where we're at. A cornerback, maybe they like Stingley. Uh, tough one because he hasn't really done much in two years. So I, I'm not positive on that one. Or edge rusher, Kayvon Thibodeau. Obviously, there's the stuff about him being a me guy. It's out there. It's been out there. Maybe that affects his status. Maybe the Giants just don't seem it's the best fit, but super talented, obviously. Or Jermaine Johnson, who I had one evaluator tell me he thought he was the best pass rusher in the class. In the class. That if you watch the film, that he he thought that he was the guy, that you see the traits, you see the the, the winning at the line, uh, you see the sacks, you see the production, that he's the best pass rusher in this draft. And that's including Hutchinson. That's including Walker, who, by the way, didn't produce greatly at Georgia. Or that includes um, Thibodeau. So that's kind of where the Giants stand with picks five and seven. Now, I fully expect them to try and move back. Joe Shane is going to try and move back, collect future capital with that one of those picks. Not so sure it's going to get done. A lot easier said than done. Uh, other things we're hearing, the love for Jelani Woods, very strong. Uh, the Virginia tight end really crushed this pre-draft process. I mentioned him before, the tight end, uh, and that tight end group. Shig, the guy from Maryland, again, the Giants are all over him. So those are two guys that I would kind of watch out for. In the tight end group, from what I've been hearing, you can get a really good tight end in that fourth round range. Maybe even fifth. Maybe. Not out of the realm of possibilities. Maybe. Heard Joe Shane actually likes Trevor Penning, too. By the way, just a little throw in here. Who is the fourth offensive tackle? Now, I don't think Penning's in the same class as the top three. But if they happen to move down, that could be an option. So let's say Sauce Gardner is available at five. The Giants take him, are able to move out of seven. Trevor Penning's a guy that I would keep an eye on. Now, New Orleans is uh, looking for left tackle help after losing to Ron Armstead or tackle help in general. So that's sort of the, the, the spot you need to watch out for. I believe they're 16, maybe 12 and 16, 14, 16, some, something like that. That would kind of be the drop dead point for the top four tackles in this draft. And when you talk about the tackles in this draft, Everything I've been hearing is they're probably going to go in the top 15, and then there's a big drop-off after that. We'll talk to Matt Miller in a few minutes. ESPN draft analyst, really good on on the draft. Uh, gets a lot of good intel also. So he has that has me intrigued to hear because he's he, he's been all over this Giants being high on Charles Cross, and it's something I've heard as well. Now, one of the things I'm I think about when I hear that is, Okay, the Giants are high. Them is it Joe Shane? Because if it's not Joe Shane, is that person or those people even going to be there after the draft? How much does their opinion, how much weight does it hold? It's a fair question right now. Now, when it comes to the tackles in general, I surveyed thirteen evaluators, ranging from GMs, executives, scouts, uh, draft nicks, you know, like Mel Kiper and, and and a bunch of our our top people. You know, rank the top tackles in the draft, and it was. 13. All the first place votes went to two guys. It went to Evan Neal and it went to Icky Iquanu. So seven to Neal, 
six to Aquani. So to me, there's a significant gap between those two guys and Cross. The Giants might like Cross. It doesn't mean they're going to draft him in the top five and the top ten. Again, probably a 10 to 15 guy, 8 to 15 guy. Maybe in most years, he'd be like a top 20 guy. Now, Neil and Equanu were top everyone's list. Now, there's scattered throughout a couple people who didn't love Neil or didn't love Equanu and had crossed second. But when you're talking about who is the best tackle in this class, you're talking about all 13 votes going to those other two guys. So it's hard for me to see the Giants leapfrogging one of those guys to take Charles Cross, if that's an option that's out there. Now, maybe if both of them's gone, both are Icky and Neil are gone, it's a different story. Cross does make a lot of sense for them. Aquanu kind of makes the least amount of sense for them, if you ask me. He's the bigger, more run-grading type guy. The Giants really seem to be want uh, offensive linemen that can move, that have good feet, that can get out, block screens, outside zone. Not that Aquanu's bad at that at all. I mean, first of all, his run blocking is considered, uh, you know, elite Hall of Fame style. I'll have an article, by the way, running this week. I believe it's Thursday uh, of the week before the draft, the week before the draft on the offensive tackles and kind of what I've heard on all of them. But that's a quick little rundown. That's a quick little rundown on the top seven of the draft and uh, a little more on what I'm hearing on the Giants. We'll get to more as we go along. But you know what? Let's hear what Matt Miller has to say right now. On to the next one. Feeling like you need a marketing degree and an extra day in your week to successfully market your small business? Let Constant Contact do the heavy lifting for you. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has powerful tools that make it easy to grow your audience, engage your customers, and sell more to boost your business. Now, in just a few clicks, you can launch a marketing campaign that's tailored to your business and goals. That includes email, social, SMS, and more. So you can sell more, raise more, and fast-track your business growth. Plus, you can always count on Constant Contact's award-winning customer support for guidance along the way. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. All right, let's bring in ESPN draft analyst Matt Miller. Always love his work. Uh, For a little chat here, we're we're, uh, basically a week out from the draft, Matt. Giants have two top 10 picks. How would you feel if you're them right now? Two top 10 picks in this, in this specific draft. Yeah, Jordan, I would feel, I would feel good where we're at right now. I think especially at pick five, because you, you have an opportunity to kind of see how the board falls. There's not that pressure to trade up this year. You know, you can, you can truly sit and watch. I think you also have to be happy with the fact that the previous regime got the number seven pick, you know, last year, by letting Chicago Bears go up to get Justin Fields. So they're in a good spot. I, I really feel like the needs of the Giants matches up well with what we expect to be on the board, at least at, at five overall. Like you, you got a good shot at either one of the top offensive tackles or one of the top edge rushers. I think uh, I, I did a – I started a mock draft yet, and I got so mad at it I didn't even finish it because <laughs> the, you want it to be like, okay, at, at five there's going to be an edge rusher, and at seven there's going to be a tackle. I think right. that's where we kind of have to talk about, like, this might not work. Like, it, it may not, you know, fall that way, which, you know, sets up a lot of side conversations of, well, should you trade pick number seven and look to gain a 2023 first rounder when the quarterback class, when the entire draft class could be quite a bit stronger? Uh, I, I think that's probably the, you know, the talk that 
Joe Shane and Brian Dable and all their all their folks are having this week is what it, you're you're almost playing war games. I had a GM this week say to me, "We're doing war games right now," and and so you're trying to like, okay, well, what if what if Aiden Hudson, Trevon Walker, Kayvon Thibodeau, and, and Iki Aquanu are off the board? What do we do? You know, right. um, and, and trying to figure figure that strategy out basically. So you mentioned it. You said next year would be in your estimation, and I think this is the general consensus, right? A stronger draft. Mm-hmm. How do you view the top of this draft? Because I mean, I hear some people that say, "Look, it's it's not very good." I even had somebody tell me that they like these offensive tackles, but in a good draft, like most of them would be probably, you know, the round top ten, mid first round kind of guys. It's in their eyes. Do you yeah, agree I think with that assessment? Yeah, I do. Uh, that's very, very uh, accurate to me. I even look at it like comparing. So we're it to just last we're just year. basically pushing everyone up because there's nobody else. Is that is that yeah kinda, exactly kind of how we're working here? Exactly. Like I look at last year's class. Like where would Aiden Hutchinson have gone last year? But he wouldn't have gone top three. That's clear, right? Uh, because we had the quarterbacks go. You know, would he have gone? I mean, four, like Kyle Pitts, I have Kyle Pitts graded a heck of a lot higher than I do Aiden Hutchinson. So I, I do think you kind of look at it and say, okay, where would this guy slot in? Like, would he like eight maybe last year where Carolina took JC Horn? Like there's just not a great spot for him. So right. um, that's kind of where, but I, I got asked this the other day on an interview and they were like, wait, wait, you're telling me the best player in this draft is like a top 10 pick most years. And I was like, yeah, but the thing is like, you still have to draft someone. Like you right. can't just be like, "Hey, this is a bad draft. We're not gonna, we're not gonna take anyone." So, like, it's yes, like when you the, say in free agency, the guy's not worth twenty million. No, he's worth twenty million because he's in free agency. That's what the market is at the time. So that's kind of exactly. what exactly the, the market exactly is it. for these guys in this draft. And also, like, we're gonna be surprised. We are every year, right? Like, so Aiden Hutchinson, what is his ceiling? It says like a really good starter. No, he's not an all-time great. He's not. You know, it's not one of the Bosa's or Chase Young or anything like that. Right. It's more like. Hey, he's like, he's solid. Yeah. I mean, it puts, it puts teams in a dilemma, right? Right. You would love to trade down, but that's going to be hard to do. Given what you just said. Right. I mean, I would, I would assume the player 20, the gap between player 20 in this draft and player, you know, one is probably not that large. Is, Is that fair? Yeah. I would agree with that. Like for me, player 20 is Trent McDuffie. Who's solid. Right. It's mm-hmm. probably like going to be the most overused word this draft season. It's solid, but <laughs> like Trent McDuffie will be a really good player, you know. Um, but there's no one where you're like, if you had to pick one player from this draft to be a Hall of Famer, like you wouldn't want to do it, you know. Right. Like you're yeah, just yeah. like, oh gosh, like I don't want to do this. So there's there's not really that top end talent like you like you mentioned. So we mentioned we talked you you know we know there's there's a bunch of top tackles in the draft. Would you be okay if you're the Giants at five and seven then? with any of the top three tackles being uh, Icky, um, Charles Cross, and Evan Neal? Or do, yeah. you, or do you have a gap between – because, when look, when I talk to people, it was pretty much – I surveyed 13 people. It was number one on all of them was either Icky or Neal, right? Mm-hmm. I think Neal got seven and Icky got six first-place votes. But Charles Cross did squeeze in for some, you know, four people I think picked had Cross second ahead of one of the other guys that maybe they didn't like. So where do you stand on kind of ordering those three and whether you'd be all right with any any of those three or have a strong preference? Yes, yeah, so I have it. 
have an Evan Neal and Iki Aquanu like neck and neck. I think they're very different. But so if you had to pick number one, though, like number one, you would say it's Neal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For it's tough though because if you're like, hey, we need a right tackle and we're kind of a, like a, a run game dominant offense, then mm-hmm. I would say oh, I want Iki Aquanu then. But if you're like, hey, we're gonna spread the ball around, you know, we're gonna more of a passing based team, maybe a mobile quarterback. I would, I would want Evan Neal, you know. So I think that where do you put where do you, where do you figure the Giants in that? I well, I think because Andrew Thomas improved so much last year. Like I yeah. was I was like out on this dude week one, and then you know <laughs> week week seventeen, you're like, oh wait, actually he he's really good. This is what we saw at Georgia. So yeah. I think I think right tackle is is the need, you know. And so like I personally, I, Charles Cross can play right tackle. Evan Neal can play right tackle. I think Icky has the goods to be a great left guard or a great right tackle. That's kind of where I put him at. Um, I, I know my guy, Duke Mannyweather would, would slap me right now if he heard me saying that, because it's like, well, if he could play right tackle, he could probably play left tackle. But right. I like with Andrew there and Andrew being such a, a, an ascending young player, I think if you draft Icky, put him at right tackle and you have a potentially great player, it doesn't work put him a left guard and you have a really, really, really good player there. So that's, that's probably why I like him a little bit more for the giants. Okay. But you, you would be good. Would you be good with cross or do you see a significant, you think that's a little high for him? Five. No, I'd be seven. good with it. Yeah. I have so? him ranked. I have him ranked 10th. So like five or seven is not a huge jump, especially because he's, he's so young and raw. And like, I, I think with Charles, I've had the opportunity to watch him work out. Uh, privately a couple times this this offseason mm-hmm. it's like he's just scratching the surface but he, you see him figuring things out and like putting things together and it's like gosh this guy's gonna be really really good and he's just he's, he's so like athletic and, and lean he he looks like a basketball player not a football player and you watch it but then you watch his power and you're you're kind of stunned by it so i i think despite the fact that he didn't play right tackle in college he is definitely comfortable doing that and so I, I think if you if you look at it as like, all right, we got to get a right tackle, say Icky goes to the Jets at four, like, okay, well, Charles Cross is a, a pretty dang good pick at five, especially if, you know, if things get weird and Evan Neal and Icky are off the board, I don't think Charles Cross is a bad pick at five or seven. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely, I think it would open eyes a little bit, but that then, I mean, there doesn't seem to be a huge gap between those guys. And I know you've said it before. You've already heard the connection from the Giants and uh, and uh, Charles yeah. Cross. Yeah, it seems like the closer we get to the draft, there's there's more of it too. And and you see it from other people in the media, right? It's like we all have our like little group that we kind of talk to, and you you kind of trade information with each other. But then yeah, when yeah. you start to see it from other people in the media who are like like you're cool with, but you're, they're not in your little like talk circle. You're like, oh dang, they're saying it too. You know, like I saw. So Peter Schrager from NFL Network saying, yep. like, hey, I've heard Charles Cross of the Giants. And I'm like, right. I've known Peter a long time. I love that dude. But I wasn't talking to him about that. And he wasn't talking to me about it. So we're both hearing it, you know, likely from different people. And I think that's where, like, in this job, as you know so well, like, you kind of get excited about information. It's when it's like, okay, multiple people are hearing the same thing from different sources. So it's either, like, the most effective smokescreen ever, like Mac Jones to, to the Niners last year. Or it's like, right. okay, there's really something to this. Yeah, I think that that's kind of how this draft stuff works. People think people are like nobody's telling you anything. Like they don't really quite understand like how the information ecosystem works. Like there's just a lot of people involved. There's people yeah. on both ends. So 
it goes around and you're hearing you're basically getting like little pieces of like who you know who is attracting interest from a bunch of teams and then you're you're kind of working off that it's not somebody saying hey we're drafting this guy like that this doesn't that's that's I've not how that happened once i think once in my life where uh, they like told you i'm drafting this official. guy yeah and it was actually at the combine and it's funny enough it was someone who worked for the new york giants and they it was probably an obvious one but they were i was like i was just joking around i was like Wait, hey was like what you guys flowers no, it was Saquon. So it was like oh, kind of yeah, easier, yeah, yeah. you know, I was like, but it was like early February, right? Or like late February, like who are you going to draft? And they're like, oh, we're taking Saquon. I was right. like, what are you joking? Like are you, I mean, it, it seemed obvious, but it's like, okay, wow. Like, you know who you're taking and it's, you know, it's at the combine. So that's, you know, you felt good about that pick in your mock draft at least. Yeah, for sure. Well, the, there's definitely the buzz and I've heard it as well with Charles Cross. The question is, and and I wonder how you sort of, uh, process this because they have a new GM and a new coach of Giants, right? And there's a scouting staff that's there and they're all involved in the process. But in the end, do we really know how much they're going to be involved? Like, you know, we don't know if these guys are even going to be there in, in three weeks, right? Some of these guys that are probably exactly. after scouting staff. So it's like, this is Joe Shane, unless you're like, unless it's Joe Shane, like, I don't really know what to make of it. I mean, so how, how do you process all that this year with, with a team like the Giants? Yeah, it's tough because like you said, you kind of like build relationships and have sources and then those people might still be there, but you have no clue how much say they have anymore. I think that's a tough thing when you're talking to any area scout, right? It's like they have their opinions and their their educated opinions, but mm -hmm. at the end of the day, like the team might not draft any of their players. And so yeah. you can be like, oh man, like the Pac-12 scout for the, the Giants says they love Kayvon Thibodeau. Like, okay, he might doesn't mean they're going to draft him. Right. So I think right. that's always the hard part. And especially like you said, with anytime you have a new GM, they're going to bring in their own people after the draft. And so I think that is one thing where you try to be aware of it. You know, I, it's a little different for, for you guys, I'm sure who are covering a team regularly because you have a lot more relationships. I think for those of us on the national scale, it's like, okay, you almost have to just like disregard some of the things you hear from, in, you know, from the inside there, unless, unless it's, you know, somebody that's high up enough to, that you, you know, you can trust what they're saying basically. But yeah, I think this is one of those years where, and this isn't me hedging or like apologizing in advance to my mock draft is going to suck. <laughs> it's like the hardest year ever because it, it does feel like there's been a lot of turnover, but also there's not consensus top players. And so it's just like, you know, like peek behind the curtain teams call people like me and be like, Hey, what are you, what do you think this team's going to do? Because they're doing their own mock drafts and trying to figure out who's going to be available. And this is the one year where I think everybody's just like, yeah, we don't know what's going to happen. Um, it's going to be kind of fun and wild and and unique in that regard. Yeah, I, it really is. I mean, I think there's there's certainly more uncertainty at the top than ever. Um, I, take me take me through the process for a second because you you were kind of mentioning it there. So you're putting together your mock draft. How are you thinking? You're thinking, you're thinking from the uh, perspective of what th what this what I expect this team to do. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, Daniel Jeremiah said this once, and I, I've borrowed it because it makes so much sense. Like a mock draft is what you hear, and your rankings are what you see. And so, like, that's how right. I do it. A mock draft for me is not – That makes a lot of sense. It's not connect the dots, right, of like, oh, the Jaguars, they're at number one. Here's my number one overall player. Let's mix those together. Um, for me, it's more like what I'm hearing, what I expect to happen, kind of where the rumors are, are trending. It's almost like forecasting the weather uh, my mock drafts are. Right. 
So, and then do you get, do you get to a point though, where you say, well, I got to shake it up a little bit because we know like every, you know, what we, what we expect is never the way it's going to turn out. So I, I got to throw in some surprises. Do you, how much, how much do you, do you do that? I actually don't do that. Um, there will be times where I'm like, wait, I think this player should be a first rounder and he's not in my first round. So I got to like go back somewhere. And like that happened to me, like I'm doing a seven round mock draft for ESPN plus that comes out next week. And I started it just to like, I kind of did like a practice run through the first round. And I was like, wait, Kyler Gordon, the corner from Washington. Like I, I want him in the first round and he didn't make it. So it's like, okay, I got to go back because that's the player I believe will be a first round pick. I, I need to find a spot for him. So where did where did I kind of mess up? And and so it's it's a weird process to go and to do even a one round mock draft. Seven rounds. Process. Is crazy. Seven how, round how, how long does that take? It'll it'll be like a full like day just making the picks. And then it'll be a, probably another full day like writing the analysis. But when you file a mock draft, you're just it's your anxiety will never be higher than that moment because you're like one trade is gonna mess this up, or I'm gonna get one phone call that's going to mess this up. Like I'm going to get like late information and it's going <laughs> yeah. to mess everything up. And then you're going to want to switch something and then it, it causes you like can't. a chain, a chain reaction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So I want to throw this by, cause I heard, I heard this from someone recently. What do you think of the idea? They said, there's no way sauce Gardner gets past the number seven pick in the giants. Like that's his drop, drop dead spot. Yeah, I can see it. Um, but I, I don't know. Sometimes I, like I said, like doing mock drafts and even when you talk to people, it's like, what is his floor? And it's like, I hear that nine or 10 is probably his floor. Like that's the farthest he would go. I I, do, I could see like April 28th, like he's such a clean prospect. Like there's, there's really not a whole lot to not like about him. I could, I could see a situation where the giants are like, Hey, is this our biggest need? No, it's definitely not. But he's just such a good player and he's at a premium position. If there's if there's not trade out scenarios, then like you, you just kind of take the best player available, and it, and at seven that probably would be him, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, look, it's all risk mitigation the draft in general. So when you say he's a clean prospect, I think in the end that usually wins out near the top. Like you want you don't want to make those huge risks at the yep. top of the draft. So it it kind of makes sense to me given that, that when you say that, that, okay, this guy, that, that, that's a perfect spot for him. Uh, let's just say the giants pass on offensive tackle at the, in the first round, right. With five and seven or whatever, they move out of seven. They, they take sauce with five and you know, who seven, they end up moving out and they end up at the top of the second round sitting there and saying, okay, we, now we, we, we still need to address our offensive line. What would you look at and say, this is a, this is a good option for them in that range, man. The, there really aren't many. Um, Tyler Smith from Tulsa might be there. Um, He's he a traits guy, right? Traits guy. Um, also just like very powerful, but like he had 16 penalties last year and like, he's just got to clean up a lot. That uh, might a lot be a tough stuff. year one with him. If you put right. We're looking exactly. at, yeah. So it's like, um, Nicholas uh, Pettit Frere from Ohio State. Uh, mm -hmm. He played left tackle for the Buckeyes last year and it kind of kind of struggled um, late in the season. Uh, definitely against Michigan and Aiden Hutchinson, he struggled, but he has played right tackle. He has played left tackle. Um, I, I think he would fit that profile pretty well um, and, and might be a guy like 36 might even be a little early for him, 
but you're just trying to beat teams to the punch, right? Because this, mm-hmm. the drop off at tackle is enormous after the first, like after the first three, it's like you kind of, you have like Trevor Penning, who there's a lot of mixed opinions about. Then there's kind of a drop off to like Tyler Smith and Bernard Raymond, but Bernard Raymond to me is like only a left tackle, like former tight end. I, I mean, I, I guess he could work a right tackle. I think it would be a bit of a project uh, just based on what, what I've seen from him. So you kind of get in this spot where if you don't get one at five or seven, you're you're probably reaching at 36, but man, you, it makes it even more likely they punch. take one if you get what you with everything you're saying here. I mean, yeah, as if I the odds like weren't high teams, enough though. already. Yeah, yeah, that's it, it. Just seems like even more likely that that, that they go in that direction at the top. Um, yeah, I think that's something that smart teams look at too. It's like, okay, if we go D end at five and corner at seven, like where do we get our tackle? It's like, oh, mm-hmm. okay, well. You probably don't, you know. You, well, then flip or, it. Or you're then, drafting then, a project. Yeah. Then flip it. Let's just say, what what's the cornerback range around there, and what's the what's the edge rusher range? Because we're, we're, yeah, so we're I, brother, we're talking about three, you know, premium positions, right? I mean, you add in yeah. that quarterback, and you add in, I guess, wide receiver nowadays. Like those are the five premium positions in the NFL. So we're talking about yeah. three of the premium premium positions that are hard to fill. I think corner is a lot better at the top of round two, like a lot better um, guys like Andrew Booth jr. From Clemson. He's probably going to slip a little because of injury. He'll be a starter in the NFL or Kyrie Elam from Florida. He'll be mm-hmm. a starter in the NFL. Uh, Roger McCreary from Auburn. He might be a slot, but he'll be a starter in the NFL. Like there's the corner group is I think quite a bit better in round two. Um, wide receiver is, is pretty strong there, but like offensive tackle in round two, it's, it's pretty bad this year. And I, I think tackles kind of become a like quarterback where if you're good, you go early. And otherwise you're, you know, you're kind of looking at guys that are projects and, and need a couple things cleaned up. Right. So I guess we're making the case to pass on the cornerback at the top of the draft, with sauce, even though he might be one of the safer picks because you could at least get a quality value or quality starter at the top of that round too. What about edge rusher? If you if they had to go in that direction, because that's another one, the giants, trust me, they were, they know full well, as well as anybody, <laughs> how hard that is to fill with a premium player. I mean, you keep taking the mid-round guys like the O'Shane Zimenez and the Lorenzo Carters. They kind of usually are what they are, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's hard. You're not, you're, not, you're not hitting those huge uh, edge rushers very often outside of the top of the draft. Without a doubt. I do think it's deep this year, especially if you're okay with getting like a role player, like a Nick Benito. From Oklahoma, who uh-huh. projects as a three-four outside linebacker, probably super a high uh, situation rate in college. He had five, yeah, I very. Saw. Some of that is you know Big Twelve offensive tackles aren't very good, but some of it is that he's <laughs> he's good himself. Uh, so I like Nick Benito, uh, Arnold Ebiketti if he's there uh, from Penn State. That's a Penn State guy, a little undersized yeah. or smallish, but yeah, but but a good player. Temple also transfer, high, pr- high pressure rate guy. Mm-hmm. guy. I would be curious if David Ojabo makes it, if they would roll the dice on, on him coming off the Achilles injury from the, I had the pro heard day. they were high on him, but that was before so, yeah. he, you know, got injured in that pro day. So yeah, who knows? I, that's an interesting one to see where that goes that in general, because of that injury. Yeah. I, I like, it's, I really like him. Um, it's just, you know, trying to figure out where he's going to be. You know, if you're, if you're willing to roll the dice on a guy that might not play this year, who would have been a top 12 pick had he not got hurt at the pro day? You think you think he would have been top 12? You think he would end up going that high? I do. Yeah. Like I, I thought Minnesota was probably his floor. Wow. Okay. So yeah, that even makes, you know, it makes it a, a, 
a second round, obviously a little bit more bigger gamble, but the upside is you basically have a top 12 player. I mean, yeah. And you guys kind of did that last year or or they did, excuse me, with uh, Aziz Ojolari, you know, a guy who slipped and you got pretty good value. You know, like there was a lot of first round talk for him. Yeah. Yeah. I know. But it was that's more like long term health. This one is a little different in that Ojabo's, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a good chance he doesn't play this year. Right. But nothing like just going to, you know, be a, you know, oh, he's going to only play five or six years and then, you know, have all these these injury issues. Yeah. You buying the whole Trayvon Walker potential number one hype? I think you have to just because kind of like we were talking earlier, there's enough like buzz around it, you know, that, that you have to kind of buy into it a little bit. But I think I'll be I will be very surprised. Like it could definitely happen. But I will be very surprised just because Aiden Hutchinson is that good of a player and the Jags are that bad of a team where like you're not in a position to get cute and draft for traits over like a guy who was the best defender in college football last year, like especially a guy who was that productive, but also is that like his athletic measurables are top, top tier, his character's top tier. Like there's there's not a whole lot wrong with with Aiden Hutchinson. Like we try to poke holes in every player, right? Like, oh, well. What are the negatives? And with Aiden Hutchinson, it's like, uh, well, there aren't a whole lot. You know, it's just he's not he's not the fastest defensive end you've ever seen. It's like, okay, well, his yeah. three cone was in the 99th percentile and his short shuttle is in the 95th percentile. Like he's he's pretty dang quick. And yeah. that's really what you, you don't you don't need him yeah. to run 40 yards. I don't think he's gonna right. be running 40 yards very often. But even that he did a, a four seven at 260 yeah, pounds. Like, like I'll four. take that. If you want yeah. a knock, I mean, <laughs> like we said, you're searching for knocks when you're when you're really sitting there with these top guys and you're you're picking them apart. I mean, let's be honest, that's kind of yep. what it is. Uh, we'll end on this: Giants are going to draft a running back and they're going to draft a tight end. The likelihood is both of them are going to be in the middle rounds. Let's say rounds three to five. Give me a player at each of those positions that you think would be good that you like and maybe would be good fit for the Giants. And uh, oh, yeah, those offense at those two positions. Yeah, I had Pierre Strong, the running back from South Dakota State, I, I think is a little bit like what they will had in Buffalo, but maybe with a little more juice. But, you know, like a, a powerful inside outside runner with like he's kind of a slasher, you know, like off tackle uh-huh. stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, a lot of outside, I, I really outside good for the outside zone that Absolutely. they, they plan yes. to run kind of deal. So running back, I would I think Pierre Strong fits them really well. A tight end. Like, I'm obsessed with Jeremy Ruckert from Ohio State right now. Um, his thing was injuries, good, if I remember right. Yeah, right. And he was like, he hurt his foot at the senior bowl, but he's just such a good receiver when they actually throw him the ball, which Ohio State doesn't throw to their tight ends very often. So, like, his production's not great, but he just made like so many big catches. He's tough. He can block. Like, he, he really is like a little bit of a throwback tight end. And that like, he'll play in line. He's great in the red zone. But I, I really think that he's he's going to be a, a starter and someone that will probably be drafted in like the third round. And a lot of it's just going to be like, hey, they didn't really throw the ball his way a whole lot. And then he got hurt, didn't get to do testing, you know, this spring. Team's worried but about that foot. Team's good. I I want to say it was just like a random, like got hurt at the senior bowl thing. I don't I don't think it's something that's like, oh, it's like long term. Guys, the thing with the foot is it always scares me when I hear that because you're like the big, big guys and foot injuries, they usually don't get better. But I yeah. guess that's that's their job to kind of figure that out. And uh, again, <laughs> right. If the doctors say that he's good to go, 
right. then he's he's definitely good to go. All right. Yeah. The great Matt Miller, everybody. Uh, obviously, this time of the year, he's swamped. We appreciate you taking the time out of your ridiculously busy schedule here. And uh, of course, we'll, we'll, do, we'll do it again soon, man. Yeah, sounds great, man. And thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Anytime, man. Thank you. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. All right. That was Matt Miller there. Always dropping knowledge on us. Love that. But let's wrap it up here. We had a conversation there. We'll give you a little quick Jordan on the beat. This is the, the portion of the episode where I tell you what it's like to cover the Giants, cover the draft in general, cover the NFL, uh, and work for ESPN. First of all, the question I always get is you, you go into Vegas, you go into the draft. And the answer is no. The Giants, you know, their GM, their coach, everyone's at the facility. So after they make the pick, the GM and everyone's at the facility. So you, let's say you do go to the draft, go, you fly out to Vegas, you go to the draft. None of the key decision makers are there to talk to, right, before or after the pick. You go and let's just say they draft, you know, a guy's name is Joe Smith. They draft Joe Smith with the seventh pick. Joe Smith happens to not be at the draft. Now you just flew to Vegas. The guy they drafted isn't there. You can't even talk to him. Like, what are you doing there? You just wasted a trip all the way to Vegas. So, no, it does not make sense for me to go to the draft. We have enough people, especially at ESPN, covering it and reporters there. If there's a big enough topic that we need something there, there we, there's people there. So I'm not going to the draft. And part of that conversation we just had with Matt kind of brought me back to something. We were talking about when there's a new regime and, you know, there's going to be changes. You really don't know how much input people have. Well, it was a little different situation, but 2017, the Giants were falling apart at the time, right? They, they, kind of, they, they were not a stable organization. They, they weren't really winning, even though they had a decent 2016 season. Uh, and so in that draft, I believe it's 2017, the Evan Ingram draft. They draft Evan Ingram in the first round. And at that point, I believe Davis Webb was part of that draft class too. He definitely was. And at that point, after the draft, you hear Mark Ross wasn't that high on everything. And Mark Ross, mind you, was in charge of the Giants draft at that time. So when you hear, oh, my God, the, the guy who's in charge of the draft wasn't in love with their first round pick, wasn't the biggest fan of Davis Webb. Like, what's going on here? And when there's situations like that, you realize that guy's not long for the organization. The next year, Mark Ross was gone when Dave Gettleman came in. They gave him a token interview for uh, GM. And then... Uh, Gettleman came in and, and got rid of him before the, the draft even occurred. So these are kind of the things you have you have to 
understand. So now there's all these people in the Giants organization. Let's say, hypothetically, Chris Pettit loves a player. Charles Cross, let's say, for a second. And so he loves Charles Cross. But what does that mean? How much say does Chris Pettit have at this point? Chris Pettit, obviously, been here a while, multiple regimes. Uh, but Joe Shane is now in charge. We don't know if Chris Pettit's going to be here in a month from now. We don't know how much weight that's going to hold come draft day. The draft, you know, the head of the draft, the head of the college scouting, Chris Pettit might love a certain guy, might love a bunch of guys, and Joe Shane might have a completely different opinion, and that's fine. But you know, if that's the case, the likelihood is that Chris Pettit's not going to be here in a month. And it's entirely possible that's the case. We have no idea. And I'm just using Chris Pettit as an example because, for one, can't use Tim McDonald as an example because he won't be fired because he's part of ownership. But that's a story for another day. We'll get to that another time. In the meantime, the draft is around the corner. We're going to have a special draft week episode of Breaking Big Blue. Keep your eyes and ears open. It's only going to be available exclusively. So you'll have to pay attention closely. We're going to have YouTube video at some point at the beginning of next week. We'll talk about all the draft rumors out there with the Giants. We'll uh, talk about whether they're true or, you know, total bunk. So keep an eye out for that. As always, like, subscribe, tell your friends. You can reach me, you know, anywhere. I'll answer. Uh, we'll do a, a Giants after dark at some, somewhere sometime uh, right up leading up until the draft. You can reach me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, email. TikTok, you know where to find me. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan. See you next time.